listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Hi, everyone. I'm Tim Ferrati. I am joined from our Canadian real estate sector, Gaurav Mater, uh, from the U.S. real estate team, John Kim and Juan Sanabria. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground, hopefully in about 15 minutes here. We're going to start talking about uh, the emerging property technology sector, also known as PropTech. And then we'll talk a little bit about industrial REITs. Uh, we'll talk about the office space a little bit, and the guys will give us their top picks. So why don't we start off in prop tech, where the team has done a lot of work. Gorov co-authored with John and Juan uh, to talk about emerging areas of prop tech uh, and where they are seeing impacts in their respective sectors. Uh, who wants to start off talking about prop tech and the impact that you're seeing right now or what's most exciting in that space? Hey, Tim. Sure. It's, it's John Kim. I'll, I'll start off. Thanks for the intro. We wrote a report called The Next Frontier in Commercial Real Estate. So that's what makes it exciting. It's, it's, it is what we truly believe going to be integrated in all uh, facets of real estate. As you may know, real estate has been notoriously slow to adopt technology. When you compare real estate versus retail, financial services, healthcare, and other industries, but we think that's going to change, and it already has, uh, with the emergence of prop tech companies, the amount of capital being spent, and as real estate uh, companies embrace these new technologies within their companies. REITs that integrate and invest in these platforms, we think will be the winners within REIT world. Right now, we think that's Prologis and, and Simon Property as two of the companies at the forefront, given they have their own in-house VC funds. On that, on that uh, subject, VC capital has been significant. It's, it's been $54 billion invested in the space in the last couple of years. And we see that that number is going to grow with larger funding rounds. Now the norm, similar to what's happening in, in tech world. And those larger funding rounds are going to accelerate some of these emerging emerging companies that will accelerate their growth uh, going forward. Um, and now what we're seeing is companies in the prop tech world are going public versus, uh, you know, via SPAC and also IPOs. We have talked to some investors in this space, and they believe we could see 30 to 40 public prop tech companies over the next three to five years. That includes the, the net effect of companies that are being acquired as some of the larger prop tech companies use M&A to help grow. So none of that, we still see about 30 to 40 companies in the prop tech space in the next few years. At this point, I'll pass it over to Gaurav, who wrote a lot in this report and can talk about some of the interesting subsectors within prop tech. Thanks, John. Uh, when we started writing this report, we realized that there are a number of management teams in the real estate sector that are betting on different technology platforms and offerings. And they're all looking at different technologies such as location intelligence, virtual reality, predictive analytics, artificial intelligence, uh, so much so even 5G wireless and cryptocurrencies. And when we started looking into this entire sector, we realized that as more investors and landlords engage in this technology transformation, you will suddenly find differentiating factors to help and look at different REITs also within our purview. But at the same time, we understood that it's also very easy to get lost in the depth and breadth of this entire sector. So based on the conversations which we had with a number of venture capital firms, a number of industry experts, and some factors uh, that we can talk about ahead, we 
went ahead and identified five focus areas for our REIT investors to consider, given the amount of progress and innovation in each of these verticals. So the areas that we identified included construction technology, building management technology, data aggregators, productivity tools, and tenant experience. I think what's common among all of these five major subclasses is that there has been a considerable availability of capital and investor interest. And the technology trends within each of these verticals have increasingly moved away from being very conventional theoretical concepts to those that are starting to find some impact in the commercial real estate sector. The other bit that was also very interesting was while there are multiple companies and we went through an exhaustive list as we went through each of these verticals. We decided that, you know, the ones that definitely stood out in mind for all of us were still a smaller cohort and that there's still some ways for a number of these companies to grow. So I think right at the end of the note, we did put down, you know, companies that are worth mentioning, such as HQO, which is, which is a technology platform for office landlords. And given where we are in the world at this time, that's becoming increasingly important for a number of office tenants who, that are facing you know, technology issues and, uh, and are looking for amenities and convenience on a single platform. We looked at Latch, uh, which specializes in keyless entry systems, and uh, you can basically control the entire doors and for either any apartment building just through a smartphone. We looked at SmartRent, which provides an enterprise home automation platform for the multifamily industry and has been gaining uh, a lot of market share in what it's trying to do. In fact, the company recently merged with Fifth Wall, a venture capital fund, uh, and a SPAC that, was, that valued the company at close to $2.2 billion post money. So there are a lot of companies in this entire universe, some that we've highlighted as well some which we think will move up the curve. And as John mentioned, there will also be some that will be bought out and there will be significant consolidation up ahead. I think with that, I will turn it over to one who can discuss the REITs in our coverage and how they'd benefit from uh, from these trends. Thanks, Gaurav. Uh, in the report that John flagged at the beginning of the podcast, uh, we noted 11 REITs that we call out that we think are leading the pack in one form or another in their investments uh, in these various prop tech initiatives and bucketize them into three different buckets. John highlighted Prologis, which we'll talk about more in a second, as well as Simon, which I'll touch on, is leading the pack and other uh, companies that we think are worth mentioning. Monetizations, importantly, are underway. Uh, as some of these early reinvestments have started to pay dividends for the companies and for shareholders. With flag Smart Rent, uh, which Essex, MidAmerica, and UDR have invested in uh, and that's been monetized via a SPAC, as well as Chirp, which Camden is invested in, and that was via resale through RealPage. So the REITs have started to gain some monetization uh, or some benefits from some of the early investments they've made, and we expect that to continue and for the REITs to continue to invest and push the envelope as PropTech matures and uh, grows in importance. Thanks for that, Juan. You know, you, you were talking about how the REITs can use PropTech to improve their businesses. John, I know you have the sense that PLD has a real opportunity to grow their business through PropTech. Could you talk about that a little bit? And if we're talking to talk about PLD, you might as well talk about just the trends in the industrial space overall. Sure. So, you know, Prologis is the largest global industrial warehouse owner, developer, and manager. Um, we've been very bullish on this company that Companies had very strong results over the last few years, and their market cap is now approaching 100 billion. 
And I guess the one remaining question is how long can the good times last with Prologis? On this PropTech subject and just looking into the future, it's, the company is extremely interesting. They have the largest in-house PropTech fund within a REIT at 100 million, and the company believes this to grow to two to 400 million um, over time. But on top of that, either integrated within one of the portfolio companies or something they could do uh, on their own with, with, or with partners is, you know, one of the items that they're focused on is uh, increasing solar power production uh, in-house, basically. They are already the third largest U.S. corporation in terms of installed solar panels. And the company sees this growing more than tenfold going forward. So from 3% of roofs currently to 30% of roofs. And that could power not only their warehouses, but in future uh, electric vehicle stations, battery storage, and, and other items as well. So it's a really interesting long-term play for, for Prologis. But what we really like about it is the core business. And right now, looking at fundamentals and speaking with the company uh, and some of their peers, uh, there's no indication that fundamentals are slowing. And in fact, demand has, has never looked better. Market rents in the U.S., the company now expects to grow 10% this year. That's above where CoStar is at a little bit over 6%. And that's really given customer demand as, as they're looking to accommodate e-commerce growth and also improve resiliency within the supply chain. Most e-commerce tenants cannot reliably deliver in the next day, and it'll take years to get their supply chain geared up for that. And on the um, resiliency side, inventory to sales ratio right now is at an all-time low. So as the companies increase their own inventory, that will enhance demand for industrial space. All of this for Prologis means that their mark-to-market currently is at 17%. That's a historic high for the company. And that spread will likely continue as the market rental growth is going to exceed their annual growth and their rents. Rents is really going to be the driver for, for growth organically going forward. But another one is in the medium term is the strategic capital uh, revenue, which is basically the, this asset management business that only Prologis has within the industrial REIT space. These fees grow as fund asset values increase. And in the second quarter, uh, which has just been reported by Prologis, it was a record quarter as far as revaluations. We call this more medium term because revaluations tend to lag what's happening with rents and capital values trading in the markets. But, you know, we think these revaluations occurred because of the fundamentals and as well as replacement costs also rising. So as asset management fees grow, they also will get higher promote income uh, as an asset manager. And again, this is a leg of the business that is relatively unique within REIT world. So we see current fundamentals helping. We see medium and long-term growth aspects of this company, which help us have our, our bullish view. Well, the industrial sector is definitely a space that has been aided by trends already in place, by accelerating trends already in place, uh, but aided by the COVID phenomenon. Why don't we talk a little bit about some of the sectors that have not done as well and kind of where our outlooks are there. Why don't we start with you, John, with the office space? Yeah, I mean, if you look at REITs overall, the MSCI U.S. real estate index is above its pre-pandemic levels, as is the S&P and NASDAQ. But there are some sectors that have not come back to where they were pre-COVID. And office stands out as as one of those sectors. It's easy to see why sentiment is weak on office. The return to office has been much slower than people anticipated. There's still a lot of question marks and debates of what's going to happen with office demand this year and over the next few years. And uh, 
And we see that we see that as an opportunity. We are believers that the cities will return. Um, it's not going to happen day one. It may take uh, it may take a few quarters or maybe a couple of years to get there. But when you look at walk around cities, I'm I'm sitting in New York City. A lot of the restaurants and museums and uh, other cultural centers have rebounded faster than most people had anticipated. We've seen that already in multifamily, where occupancy really troughed back in November, December, and has has recovered pretty quickly. And what makes it interesting for us, and we're not saying that office and the New York City office we necessarily should trade above where they were pre-pandemic, but it's still trading well below. It looks inexpensive when you compare it versus its uh, NAV. So the New York office REITs and the coastal office REITs are trading at 20 to 25% discounts versus an 11% premium for REITs overall. Uh, the office sector trades at a discounted multiple on AFFO versus REITs. So there is some value in the sector and we're not... Uh, necessarily bullish in the long term, but I think as a trade, and if you're looking for some value in REITs, uh, office is interesting, and I think it could be um, as soon as the back half of this year, as sentiment improves, and as we see the office utilization increase from low 20s today to perhaps 40 to 50% uh, over the next few months. Okay, thanks for that, John. Uh, let me turn to you, Juan, and talk. Uh, let me ask you to talk a little bit about some of the subsectors that you cover and how uh, they are faring in this post-COVID environment. Sure. I would just tack on firstly to John's comments around the office sector in life science, which is a subsector uh, which we categorize within healthcare. That's been on fire. The offices actually never closed because they were deemed essential because they were working on COVID vaccines and, and other treatments. And given the amount of venture capitalist funds raised, you've also seen a tremendous amount of money pour into scientific development, uh, the whole RNA scientific breakthrough behind the vaccines for COVID should stimulate a new wave of, of a discovery and um, should, should stimulate demand for life science office. So we have a, an outperform rating on, peak, a perform rating on peak, have had so for a while now, and they are basically called 50-60% life science, which is going gangbusters and is expected to continue to do so given the demand from the underlying tenant base. They've got a very strong presence in the key cluster markets in Cambridge, Massachusetts, South San Francisco, as well as San Diego. They've got a $7 billion land bank of development and densification opportunities, which could add over $6 per share in NAV. So they're not relying on external acquisition growth. And so we think that's a very interesting name to play within the healthcare landscape, uh, given the, we've got safety and predictability in the in medical office, which aced the COVID test, as well as growth in the life science business that's, that's going gangbusters. In self-storage, we'd highlight uh, life storage as a preferred pick or top pick within that subsector. The, the latest data point, we had uh, one of its closest peers, National Storage, pre-report second quarter numbers on the back of an equity raise. They raised same-store guidance expectations for the second quarter to nearly 16%, or 16%, I should say, with same-store NOI growth expected at 21%, so a great data point there. The closest comp for LSI, eye-popping numbers expected over the, me- over the near term. Um, we think this is probably as good as it gets, but we still see the bottom line numbers we see the numbers, sorry, on the, at the bottom line still going up for 21 and 22 and the, the street numbers to drift higher with record occupancy levels helping to push pricing. And the acquisition market remains very robust, although cap rates are clearly down. NSA, again, the, the closest comp to life storage or top pick, has closed on nearly 300 million of acquisitions at stabilized yields of, of 6.9%. 
with another $380 million of assets under contract. So given our recent non-deal roadshow with Life Storage, where they were very bullish on the external acquisition environment, we expect some big runs to be put up with second quarter results and for, for the second half to be very robust. So we think LSI has got a very strong management team, expect their relative multiple to continue to improve versus peers. And we're fans of their unique business focus and their push into last, uh, last mile e-commerce micro-fulfillment. Right. And I think that covers uh, top picks for Juan. You want to give us a, uh, a top pick, John, before we sign off? Sure. Um, I gave, already gave the pitch in Prologis, but maybe one that's a little bit non-consensus is Equity Residential, which is the largest uh, multifamily REIT focused in coastal markets. Multifamily has been absolutely on fire. You know, a year ago, we were concerned about occupancy rates falling and rent collections uh, being very difficult to to get. Today, we're looking at the multifamily markets and 17 of the 20 top multifamily markets are at their all-time high rents, which is a huge turnaround. Uh, This is really led by some of the sunbelt markets, including Phoenix, Tampa, Atlanta, but focusing on EQR. Some of their coastal markets are surprisingly at their all-time high rents, New York, L.A., D.C., and Boston included in that. And one of the reasons why we're bullish on this company is that one of the metrics we look at as far as fundamentals is the new jobs to new units ratio, which we think has had a a high correlation to rents and historically has been around five times new jobs to every new unit being built. Over the next three years, we estimate this figure to be a highly favorable 12 times new jobs to units and noticeably stronger in, in the coastal markets that EQR is focused in. So uh, looking at the portfolio for EQR, we estimate this ratio to be 19.2 times, really building well for housing demand. And of course, many of these markets are the most expensive housing markets uh, to begin with, with the highest ratios going forward in San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Jose and Orange County. So equity residential has been a bit of a laggard compared to its Sunbelt peers when you look at the performance over the last 12 months. But given the recovery of uh, many of the cities, uh, given the uh, all-time high rents that are surprisingly being achieved today, and looking at the demand supply picture over the next three years, uh, we're very bullish on EQR. All right. Excellent. All right. I want to thank uh, Gaurav, John, and Juan for joining uh, we have a very strong REIT team here at BMO that has put out some tremendous work lately uh, in, in the technology sector and has continued to have a varying view and add value for clients in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, that'll do it. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.